You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Uh, But before we look at the principles, we should ask ourselves, what is leadership? Whom among us can be spiritual leaders and why should we learn uh, to be effective spiritual leaders? Uh, Leadership uh, is seen today as a quality needed for success in today's world. Uh, And here are the aspects that make up a good leader according to modern research. I would propose that most if not all of these qualities are found in the Bible either as principles or seen in the actions of those uh, individuals that form the rest of of this series. And I've highlighted here just the more obvious ones. Uh, We think about Peter, who writes about the uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as an example uh, that is left to us, the example of our ultimate leader. We have several examples of individuals in the Bible of whom no sin is recorded and many more who despite sometimes going off trail uh, <coughs> we are they're noted aren't they on, as men and women of integrity and um, we can all recall the encouraging words spoken by Moses to Joshua and then later by Joshua to all the people be strong and of a good courage And you'll be looking at Ezra and Nehemiah with Brother Ben in a few weeks' time and how their leadership stimulated the work in rebuilding Jerusalem. And that's just a few examples of that. And so statistics from this year highlight just how important good leadership is. They show that 79%, this is taken from the US, of employees will quit due to lack of appreciation. Uh, I'm very thankful that my boss is not in the room right now. Uh, And 69% of employees say that they would work harder if they felt their efforts were better recognised. This is probably a consequence, either directly or indirectly, of the fact that only 48% of employees view their company's leadership as high quality. And that's only a third of employees report feeling engaged by their leadership. And so in an attempt to combat this, businesses spend globally $366 billion on leadership development every year. And reports show that companies with employee engagement engagement are 22% more profitable. But this is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what world businesses believe should be spent on developing good leaders because while a majority of organizations believe it is important to develop leaders from every level of the company only five percent implement leadership development at every level of their business and so it is recognized that by world businesses that good leadership is needed at all levels it is not exclusive to management and this the world views good leadership as very important The purpose, then, of this Bible class is to show that good leadership is needed within ecclesial life, too, and not just from the recording brother or the ABs, but from all members of the ecclesia. 
So then a few things to remember when it comes to, to spiritual leadership. Some of these points are from training courses uh, for developing leadership, but apply to spiritual leadership. And so, so one of the questions asked at the start was, who can be spiritual leaders? So as those stats showed on the previous slide, many businesses recognise the need for leaders at all levels. One of the biggest debates of leadership is that of leader versus manager. All managers should be good leaders, but not all good leaders will be managers, and it is the same for ecclesial life. It does not matter if you are the recording brother, an AB, a president, a speaker, or an organist, or if you're preparing the table on a Sunday, or perhaps doorkeeping, or even doing the hall cleaning. Spiritual leaders can be shown, spiritual leadership can be shown at all uh, these levels. Uh, and this series is relevant to each one of us in learning good and effective spiritual leadership. <coughs> so as part of my work, I've been on some leadership training and we were told that there are two rules. Number one, it's not about you. Good leaders do not need to make it all about themselves. They see leadership as an opportunity to serve others. Likewise, we are told, aren't we, to serve one another in love. Power and position is not used, but shared within the ecclesia. We do not have positions of authority, but we all work together in the service of, to God. A success in an ecclesia is not measured by one person's greatness, but by the growth and development of every single member. A great spiritual leader will inspire others to have confidence, not in them, but in their own faith. And there are two main points to this rule that a good leader must do. We must listen to and appreciate others. And so within the Ecclesia, esteeming one another better than ourselves to be. Listening is key, and as we will see, uh, some examples of this in the law. Because if we want to help others, we need to listen to their concerns. And humility comes into that. Appreciation is easy, but so often forgotten. All it takes is a quick thank you to show appreciation for something your brother or sister has done. A great spiritual leader encourages others to, do, to be the best they can be on their spiritual journey uh, towards the kingdom. And the important difference then between worldly leadership and spiritual leadership is that we're encouraging others to follow God and Jesus, not to follow to us as leaders. We must remember that all these principles stand on the things that God has taught us. And so rule number two in this training was, it's only about you. And while this sounds contradictory, it does make sense. The best way to encourage and to lead others towards God is by setting an example. Just as Jesus is an example to all of us, we can also be examples to each other. The examples of many faithful individuals will be explored in the weeks to come. And lastly, it is important to remember why we are learning about spiritual leadership. We believe that the faithful saints will be made kings and priests in the age to come. A promise made back in Exodus when God calls Israel uh, a kingdom of priests, and it comes up again in Revelation. And so it will be the principles of these two roles that we will look at for the rest of the class. The priest role, as described in the law, and the role of the king, described partly in the law, 
but also in the writings of the wisdom books, the writings of King David and Solomon and other kings uh, that were inspired to write. And so then let's look to the Bible. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. The children of Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years without any form of leadership. And then along comes Moses. And with the support of Aaron and Miriam, Moses is able to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses took too much onto himself, didn't he? Uh, And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him in Exodus 18, and seeing the strain on Moses, says this to him, verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing thou doest is not good. Thou will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For the thing is too heavy for thee, if thou not able to perform it alone. And then it goes into verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. And so the burden of leadership is split, isn't it? And so we have Moses. He remains this, this prophet who speaks directly to God, and he receives the word of God. And then we have Aaron, who was already serving his role as high priest and head of the priesthood. And then we have the judges, and they were to judge the smaller matters. And so they were structured, weren't they, from very minor matters, rulers over ten, to bigger matters, rulers over hundreds, thousands, and eventually to Moses. He had the ultimate job of dealing with the most serious matters. Uh, I hope, David, I haven't stepped too much on your toes uh, mentioning Moses there. Uh, but I thought it would be helpful to get a structure, and we will come back to this structure a little later on. But let's note the characteristics there in verse 21. They were to be able men. And in the Hebrew, uh, this word is translated also as virtuous, as in the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. Or Boaz, the mighty man of virtue, uh, who married the virtuous woman Ruth. Uh, And the mighty men appointed by David are also described using this same word, and they would see, and they, uh, and we'll see in just a moment, they're appointed into a similar position uh, by David later on. These were men of integrity, men of action, and they appeared to be few and far between among the children of Israel. But they're also to be such as fear God. And now, this is a Bible class uh, all within itself, the fear of the Lord. So come to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because this theme of fear can be picked all the way through the Bible, particularly in Proverbs, where it's described, isn't it, as the, uh, the beginning of wisdom. It's up there on the screen. But as we're focusing on the law, uh, we'll just take a look in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land with ego to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Their fear for God meant that they would keep 
all of the commandments of God, to teach them to their sons and daughters and to their sons' sons, that their days may be prolonged. That's verse 3, they may obtain the promises. As the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. And this reference on the screen from Malachi also highlights this reward. He says, So unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And earlier in the book, uh, we are told that the names of those who fear God would be written in the book of remembrance before God. And so this is also an important characteristic that we are to lead by example. We cannot expect to encourage others to fear God if we do not do so ourselves. And finally, they were to be men of truth. And this can be no other truth than the truth of God. It is the very essence, isn't it, of his character. And in Ephesians, we are told to put on the whole armour of God. And this starts with the belt of truth on which everything else Hangs, And so Joshua encourages the people to fear God uh, in Joshua 24, the end of his life. To fear God and serve him in sincerity and truth. Proverbs teaches us that iniquity and evil can be removed if we follow in God's truth. They were to be men that hate covetousness. And the psalmist is imploring Uh, God to turn him to God's testimonies and away from covetousness. Uh, And without treading on the toes of Brother Joe, I'd just like to mention to you to keep an eye out for these characteristics to come up in the letters described uh, by Paul uh, to the early ecclesias. And so returning to this structure, you may already be making a connection to an individual who occupied all three of these roles at the same time. And that man was Samuel. Samuel oversees a transition within the nation of Israel, coming at a time when there was no spiritual leadership. Under Samuel, the people reject God as king. And they ask for a man, one of their own brethren, to be set up as king instead. And so Samuel, who was a Levite, who grew up in the tabernacle of Shiloh, ministering to God alongside the priests, he took on the role, didn't he then, of a judge traveling throughout the land to encourage the people. And in Acts 13, we are told that he was the last of these judges, uh, but the first, uh, but he's then, not the first, but he's also then described as a prophet. And so this transition, again, leads to three roles. We still have those prophets who directly communicated with God. Examples that we have Elijah and Elisha provided great spiritual leadership to the people during their times. We have the priesthood under the direction of the high priest. And we have wonderful examples of faithful priests throughout Israel's history who lead the people to spiritual revivals. Alongside the priests, we have other Levites, such as the sons of Asaph, who remain faithful throughout the generations, right through to the exile, And in fact, alongside the 24 courses of priests, there was also 24 courses of singers. They're often overlooked, but singing, the singing of praises to God played a vital role in encouraging the spiritual health of the people. And finally, we now have the kings uh, established, the line of the kings. Firstly, Saul, 
which uh, Brother Mark will talk in a few weeks' time, but then David, a man after God's own heart. They were to lead the nation, predominantly in civil matters and wars and things like that. But we know from Israel's history that the leadership shown by kings such as Hezekiah, such as Josiah, played a key role in their spiritual revivals. And of course we see then the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? As a prophet like unto Moses, he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and the coming king, fulfilling all three of these roles. And again, a subject you'll look at in a few weeks' time. But these, few, uh, these positions are not the only source of leadership uh, throughout uh, that time. As I said, there were courses of priests, courses of singers, David sets up those mighty men as captains in a similar structure to that which Moses implemented. And so leadership then was shown, was required from the very top all the way to the bottom of this hierarchy. So where do we fit in with all of this, brothers and sisters? Well, unfortunately, the, uh, the ability to communicate directly with God is no longer available to us except through his word, the Bible. But the role of the priest and king are very much what we should be looking at as we again are meant to be made kings and priests in the age to come. So priests then, what can we learn from the priesthood in the law? Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. The position of priest uh, was very prestigious. These priests led the people in their worship of God and in the offering up of sacrifices. They, can be, they were anointed and sanctified before being uh, able to perform their duties. But sadly, some of them got, them, got it wrong, as in the case here in, in Leviticus 10 of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. They did not follow the commandments that God had set out. They had forgotten the main role of priests. If we look at verse 3, Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Moses held his peace. Their role was to glorify God before all the people. And as a result of this, God gives them a statute. In verse 9, he says, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, will now go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. That they may be separate, they might be holy, verse 10. That they may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. God goes on later in Leviticus to command them to be holy, for I am holy. Their service to God meant that they had to follow in his ways, they had to follow in his commandments, that they might be holy, separate from the unclean world around them. We also get here another aspect of the priest's role, verse 11. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. They were to teach the people, the commandments and statutes of God, and this passing on of God's truth uh, was up to them. And so likewise, it is up to us, isn't it, to teach the next generation about God and the message that he has for us in the Bible. Now, we could spend a very long time looking through 
the law to learn about all the duties of a priest. But if you could turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, we will look at examples of what the priesthood should have been and what it should not have been. And so this book of Malachi is, is structured isn't it, as a debate between God and the unfaithful at the time of the Second Temple after the people had returned from exile. Chapter 1 of Malachi details the uh, appalling way in which they had forsaken the correct worship of God. And here in chapter 2, he addresses the priests directly. Malachi 2, verse 1. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Come down to verse 4. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. And this is what God wanted from his priests. There were to be people who had the law of truth in their mouths, whose lips did not speak iniquity, those who walked with peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. And it was a responsible role isn't it, to turn others away from iniquity. And it is is the same for us, brothers and sisters. We read in James that one who converts, uh, one who errs from the truth, has saved a soul from death. But the prophet continues in verse 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. They should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, The priest was a messenger, one who should keep knowledge and one from whom others should seek to gain God, to gain knowledge of God. And so we have that role in passing on of knowledge, whether to the next generation, through Sunday school, through CYC, or via preaching to those around us. We must remember that we are the ambassadors for Christ in all that we say and do, giving an example to everyone around us. And so moving on, we have the judges. And we've seen already those characteristics uh, in Exodus 18. But just turn with me to Deuteronomy and chapter 1. We saw, didn't we, in Exodus that they... The judges were to be men of virtue, who feared God, men of integrity, who hated covetousness. And in Deuteronomy 1, chapter 16, uh, he says, I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid uh, of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. They were then to listen, to hear the causes of their brethren. And that was a good that was a quality, wasn't it, of good leadership, their ability to listen. 
And James writes in his letter, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so it is paramount in our worship of God that we should both hear and obey him, but that we should also apply that to our brothers and sisters, remembering that it is God's righteousness that we are working amongst ourselves. And humility is needed uh, in this simple act, isn't it, of listening to another's view without trying to impose our own. And turn to me to chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 16, verse 18. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not wrestle judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous. And so those same things, aren't they, again, that we read earlier, read in chapter 1. They were to judge the people justly, and it's the same word as righteously in chapter 1. They were not to rest judgment. The word just simply means to stretch or to bend, uh, translated as turned away when people followed their own judgment instead of God's. They were not to have respect of persons, nor to take a bribe. And in verse 20, it says... Uh, that that which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Uh, the margin might say in yours, justice, justice, or righteousness, righteousness shalt thou follow after. And this conjures up for me the image again of the armour of God, where we are exhorted to put on the breastplate of righteousness. For what purpose? That we may live and inherit the land. And we also should follow after righteousness so that we may inherit our place in the kingdom of God as kings and priests of righteousness. And so finally we look at the kings. And so look over the page to chapter 17, verse 14 that we read in our introductory reading. Uh, talking about when, the, uh, when they were to come into the land. We should come down to verse 18. And it shall be when... The king sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, that book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, and he, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. And so this king was to write out a copy of the law so that he could read it all the days of his life. And again, why was he to do this? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of the law and do them. And so this is a progression, isn't it? Uh, that we should hear, but also do. And this is also seen in James. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been on campaigns where they've uh, asked you, uh, they've been, their challenge for the week is to write out as much of the Bible as possible. And even with you know, 
15, 20 young people and you know, sometimes older people helping out. They only get a very small way through. It was a big undertaking to write out uh, big chunks of the Bible and commit them to memory. And so verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And again, humility is, is important, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. As we read in Peter, he was not to turn to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. And so turn with me to Proverbs in chapter 4. The Proverbs contain many uh, nuggets of wisdom, uh, particularly on, on, on all things, the fear of the Lord, amongst other themes that go all the way through the book of Proverbs. Uh, and we'll finish here looking briefly at some of these. And so starting in chapter 4 of Proverbs, verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear to my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them. In the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. And just so as the kings had to write down the words of the law and keep them in mind every day. Uh, carrying on, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and a perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. And so we need to look straight ahead, not to the left, not to the right, but by pondering the ways of God. And as the writer to the Hebrews uh, puts it, he's talking about Jesus, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus looked straight ahead to the joy of the kingdom that his work would make possible. <clears throat> and so too we should also be looking uh, to that time, sharing that vision uh, with those around us. Later in Proverbs it says that with, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so there was a king in Israel's history who does this, and it's King Hezekiah. And his section of Proverbs contains much wisdom, specific to kings. So come with me to chapter 25 of Proverbs. Uh, I just uh, put up a, a, a table of the uh, structure of Proverbs, and uh, these thoughts on these chapters are taken from a series given by uh, Brother Roger Lewis on the theme of Proverbs for King, and this series is well worth a listen. To get a full, fuller picture would only be delving um, onto the surface, really. We don't have time to look all the way through. You'll be pleased to know. Um, and so Proverbs can be structured like this. Um, we're going to be focusing on the highlighted section. It's just a suggestion for the structure. It's not important to the study. So please don't uh, you know, complain in the comments about the structure. So chapter five, chapter 25 starts with these words. I was looking at Barney then. Um, these words, chapter 25, verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, wrote out. 
And so there are many Proverbs in this section that are found earlier in the book of Proverbs, suggesting that Hezekiah has taken and carefully selected um, and structured a few Proverbs into uh, the following five chapters. Such Proverbs can then be viewed in two contexts, depending on which uh, part of the book that they are, you're reading them in. And it's an interesting note that there are exactly 130 Proverbs found in this section from, from chapter 25 to chapter 29, uh, which is equal to the numerical value of Hezekiah's name. But why did Hezekiah choose these particular Proverbs? Well, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honour of kings is to search out a matter. And so the focus immediately is on the actions of a faithful king who follows God. It is the honour of kings to search out a matter. Just as a king was to write out the words of the law, they were also to search for all the hidden things that God has left in his word. Uh, and so we're not going to look at every single proverb in this section, so we're just going to take a few examples. So verse 3, uh, not verse 3, verse 4, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. And this idea then of purifying silver to create a finer vessel uh, conjures up an image, doesn't it, of the prophecy in Malachi. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall sit as a refiner and as a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. And so this is looking again at the work of the Lord Jesus, who was able to remove the dross, to remove the sin, so that we can be made like him. And this links then to verse, four, uh, verse 5 of chapter 25. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. The second half then of this proverb, the king had to ensure that there was no wickedness found in his court of advisers, so that the kingdom could be established in righteousness. And so the lesson for us is that not only do we need to remove the dross from our own lives, following in the example of the Lord Jesus, but also to ensure the dross is removed from the ecclesia so that we can continue in righteousness. So come over to chapter 27. Uh, we have a chapter under a general heading of um, managing relationships. And it's essential, isn't it, in ecclesial life uh, that we must, must learn to get along. And it is often very challenging. There's a big section on friendship, which is considered to be the highest form of fellowship. We don't get to choose who our brothers and sisters are, but it helps, doesn't it, when we can also count them as friends. Verse 17 of uh, chapter 27. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And I think the image that is conjured up is of two people of like mind who are coming together in debate, and it is it's essential, isn't it, that we are constantly debating, constantly encouraging each other on the things of God, on the things of the Bible, as we journey towards the kingdom. And this requires fellowship, doesn't it? Physically being with brothers and sisters, so that we can discern when they need our help. It means checking on them regularly. They may need our help. The writer to the Hebrews exhorts us to provoke one another in love, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And so this brings us down to verse 23. 
where the focus is on caring for a household. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, ensuring that the flocks and the herds are well cared for. Why? Verse 26. The lambs are for thy clothing. The goats are the price of the field. And so they provide, don't they, a sustenance, something in return later on. And so this imagery of flocks, and by implication, a shepherd, is used throughout Scripture, isn't it? Referring to, again, to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells, his, uh, tells Peter to feed his sheep. And this is passed on in, in 1 Peter. The elders which are among you, I exhort, feed the flock of God which is among you. And so we need to ensure that the, the health of the whole ecclesia is being cared for. Uh, and that only comes from seeking after their welfare. So come over to chapter 29. Again, apologies uh, for skipping over so much. Um, if you get a chance, look through the rest of the section. Have a, have a listen to those talks. Uh, chapter 29 is focusing on the principles of wise governance. In verse 4, the king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. And we saw, didn't we, in Deuteronomy, with the judges who were not to take gifts. Undue flattery, verse 5, is like spreading a net for your neighbour's feet. The wicked, verse 6, are there to snare the unprepared. But come down to verse 17. It's the way in which... Verse 14, sorry... The king that faithfully judges the poor, his throne shall be established forever. And so the way in which the king deals with those who are, who le- who are the, less, the least threatening to his position, the poor, um, it is the way the king deals with those that God cares about. God is always an advocate, isn't he, for the poor, the needy, the fatherless and the widows. And it shows then the compassion of those who deal justly with those of lower estate, not to be a respecter of persons, just as the Lord Jesus showed compassion to those he came across. So too we must show compassion to each other to help one another along the road. And so in summary, what manner of persons ought we to be to show spiritual leadership within our ecclesia? We need to be virtuous, able people of God, fearing him in all holy reverence. We need to be men and women of truth, showing integrity uh, and hating the divisiveness caused by jealousy. We need to be priests, faithfully ministering to God, teaching God's word to the next generation and to those around us. We need to be faithful judges of God's righteousness, listening to one one another and encouraging one another in our walk to God's kingdom, where we as saints will be made kings and priests, faithfully serving one another in love, ensuring that no one is lost or is wandering away, and as kings leading by example in searching out the things of God, and above all, doing it all for the glory of God.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.